0: Hosea chapter 11 and 12. Actually, they're short short chapters. Essentially, Hosea is going to give Israel, the rebellious northern tribes, a little historic review. He's going to speak to them of God's compassion and how his compassion overrides, as as, if you will, his wrath, which will eventually lead to their renewal. Not everyone, but there will be a remnant that returns. And he begins here with presenting Israel and reminding them uh, of their youth. Now, there is this Analogy that he begins to use here of a father and a son. He sort of has this background of a a straying spouse, with Hosea having to marry a a a harlot or a temple prostitute, and she's constantly. He has her. They have children, and, and yet she strays away, and he goes to get her and bring her back, and just this constant strain of trying to maintain a relationship with someone who really doesn't want to be engaged and so that's the picture and he's using Hosea as it were for 40 years as an example of the attitude that Israel has spiritually speaking towards God and boy you know if you have a a, a unfortunate experience of a straying spouse or even just as painful, even sometimes even more so, a straying child. Just rebellious. No matter what you do, no matter how lovingly you try to help them, they continue to simply run from you. I know one of the things that you want from younger children <laughs> when you're raising them is that when you ask them to do something, they do it. And especially if their safety is involved. There was this um, young child, single digits, not sure exactly how old, but old enough to go with his father through the jungle in Africa. He's a missionary. And as they were walking down the path uh, through the jungle, he he turned about and he saw his son. And he saw between himself and his son was an anaconda hanging from the lower branch, he immediately called to his son to stop. Now, when you have little people uh, of that age, they don't always <laughs> do what you ask them to do. They've got a mind of their own. That child stopped dead in his tracks and listened to his father. Had he not, this, the anaconda would have, would have captured him. And then who knows what would have happened. And, and, and this is really, when people fail to grow and fail to mature and they fail to listen, because this attitude of rebellion and learning to listen and being obedient to your superiors, honoring your father and your mother, this is something that's so out of hand in our culture. It's, there's, so dis, there's ageism where there's just total disrespect for the elderly. We were taught, at least our generation, and And usually, and it's it's still somewhat tact in in Christian homes is that you honor your the elders you have respect for the older people because they have life experience uh they they are they were where you are, and they've learned something between the time of where you may be and and where they're at in life, and you have to respect uh the wisdom that they've gained through that life experience but here as we read through here, we're going to see this and we'll move at it somewhat of a rapid pace because I want to get to this covered this history lesson. He's reminding them of bringing them out of Egypt, but then he's going to remind them of their dad, Jacob. This is where you were as a youth and I demonstrated my love and compassion for you. And then look at the love and compassion I had upon your father. And look at the issues that this, your father had. You're doing the same thing. You have the same attitude. And yet he turned and he repented. He came back. And I think Hosea is being used by God to just reflect upon their history and causing them to look inward at the deceitfulness of their hearts. And so that's sort of the, the overall view of what we're going to cover here tonight. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. And as they called them, and so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals they burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking up them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king. Because they refuse to repent, and the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Edma? How can I set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute my fierce, the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst, I will not come with terror. They walk after the Lord, and He will roar like a lion, and when He roars, Then his sons shall come trembling from the west, and they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. Just an incredible section here of God communicating his care and his love for his people. He called them, he loved them, he called them, and he instructed them. This is what good parenting does. We love our kids unconditionally and unendingly. We'll never stop loving our children. And God will never stop loving us. That's just who he is. And he calls us out. He speaks to us. He announces his plans and purposes. And this is kind of an interesting thing, and it's something that we in the Western culture do not do as well as we think we do academically. Notice here that this scripture, if you're familiar with it, it's in Matthew's Gospel, and it's at the birth of Christ. It is, out of Egypt I've called my son. I don't know if you've read enough of scripture that you are reading through the New Testament, and the New Testament writers will pull some obscure passage out of the prophets like here or other places and think, what? how did you get that how are how are you repurposing the old testament like that into the new testament it's like are there rules of engagement for this (laughs) because it really looks obscure and this is one of those passages that this is a fulfillment of of the messiah of coming out of egypt after having fled uh, for their lives there after he was uh, born shortly thereafter and so I was listening to Dr. Heiser one time, and he he was asked that question about hermeneutics, Bible interpretation, and and he said um, Paul wouldn't have made it through uh, seminary; he he wouldn't have lasted two weeks I had he kicked him out because of the way he interpreted the Old Testament and how he applied it uh, to in the letters to the churches. And I just find that ironic, you know. and, and his point is well taken. It's like we can learn from them are we so sure that we're doing it right as academics they had a way of interpreting and this is interesting how think about how when you read the scriptures how the lord the spirit applies it to you like you've read that scripture a dozen times let's say but then, on a certain occasion, you'll read that scripture and just it hits you, and you're off into a different area that you've never gone before. This is this is being spirit taught. This is being spirit led. This is important. You know, hermeneutic rules be damned, so to speak. It's about applying the truth that God is trying to communicate to you and to uh, to ourselves. And this and this is uh, one of those uh, things that I thought I would mention anyway at this point. <laughs> But notice here, uh, again, his, his care for the people. How many people, when you the first thought that comes in your mind about the Lord is that he cares for you? How many Christians actually think that? you thinking on the Lord? If you're living after the flesh, I almost think that's probably one of the last things that's going to come for you come to your mind. He's mad at me. See, we had this thing because we our hearts condemn us, right? We we just can't help it. <laughs> we're we're living in this fallen body, this we have to deal with this fallen nature. We're in this little war that's going on between the new man and the old man. And sometimes we we just give in and we say, act or do things that are not appropriate. And and at those moments I don't think it enters our mind. Oh God loves you, love me he really cares for me <laughs> it's usually i need to get right with god right and so this is something that god wants to drive home through his prophet to these people he if despite their rebellion he's still reaching out to them and see the devil doesn't want people to believe that he wants to defame the nature and character of god and he is being reminding them this is how think about this is how god works with us he taught, he teaches us, What what's it say here? He teaches us how to walk. There's not a soul on this planet that doesn't need to be healed. Now, I'm not talking about physical healing and miracles. That's all part of it. But we are fallen. Our minds, our hearts, our lives are broken. We don't know the depth of our brokenness sometimes. And we need to be healed. We need to be healed every day. Some kind of healing that's regen- that 's what regeneration is all about, is it not it's the healing process you know you cut your you know we get it when we cut ourselves, our flesh bleeds you know god 's made our, our our bodies to heal it takes time it takes time in the presence of God for that spiritual healing to take place that 's why worship in song and prayer when you're gathered as the congregation before the Lord there's something special there's that 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 worship and that presence of God whatever comes into the presence of God is sanctified and healing takes place you think about Moses i always think about this well, how was that guy able to live 120 years and his eyesight no problem his vigor there because the guy spent a lot of time in the presence of God that's how i that's how i interpret that you, you, you can't help but be changed and touched in the presence of God. That's just, 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 just let's get there, right? Let's stay there. You know, I understand Peter perfectly. Let's stay right here, Lord, and build three tents. Yes. Sunday mornings, let's just stay right here in the sanctuary. I don't want to leave. This is, this is good, right? You just, you're, you're blessed and you want to stay in that state of blessedness. But again, he mentions how God led them gently, the kindness consideration. Aren't you glad that God hasn't answered all your prayers? Because there are some prayers I'm pretty sure if God would have answered, it would have not been good for me. In fact, it would have been, it would have, it would have been above my pay grade and it would have left led for destruction and harm. But God is like that. He deals with us gently. There, and I have this little phrase in my head, my, there's nothing stronger than Gentleness. God is so gentle, and yet he's the most powerful being in existence. And this is how he's dealing with Israel. We, he's, like he said, I'm, I'm not a man. I am God. I'm not going to, you know, you guys, you know, we would have trashed Israel by now, right? Just, just kill them. They're just rebellious. I've had enough. Not, that's not how the Lord works. So he sort of switches from this fatherly care to a, more of an agrarian herdsman uh, thing here. And he says, you know, I, uh, verse 4, uh, I took the yoke from their neck. This is what God does. He, he, he loosens the burdens. He lightens the burdens. And I think of how sin is such a burden. Rebellion brings such burden and struggle into the lives of people. And God is there because he cares. He desires to lift those burdens. He's, he does care. No matter how we trip, fa- fall, or have just shaken our fin- fingers at him and, and our fists at him and being angry, he still gonna, he's going to let us vent, and he's gonna, but he's going to deal with us out of his love and care. He's stooped to feed them. I know you're rebellious. I know you're taking what I'm giving you and blessing you with, and you're serving the devil. That's essentially what he's saying here. The Baals, they're worshiping. They're, they're burning incense to these, at these altars to the demons. And they're taking the resources that God has so graciously given them, and they're misusing them. And yet, how does God respond? With mercy. I'm not going to kill them. <laughs> it's, it's just Amazing. And yet, verse 5 says (laughs) they're destined for punishment. God, In that punishment, he's still restricting what can happen to them. He's not going to let them go back to the world. He's not going to let them go back to Egypt. He's not going to make them, uh, as we'll say later here, uh, in verse 8, Adma and Zeboim, which those are two, two like cities that were close to Sodom and Gomorrah that, that were destroyed along with them. So he's not going to destroy them. That's the point of using those two cities. You know, because in verse 8, I'm not giving up on you. I give up on people. I don't know about you, but that's probably one of the things, I mean, you know, you, 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 you take and you take and you take and you don't receive. And it's, it's, they take, they take certain people. It doesn't happen a lot, but there's certain there's a certain point where you just break. Okay, I'm done. I am I am so done with you. I mean these are the inner conversations that I may have that I've had over with myself. I mean, do you talk to yourself and have these conversations? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, you know, I really can't do that because God doesn't give up on me. You have to work through that. He's got we we our limits are very short compared to God's, obviously. And so he's gonna allow them to be sub subjugated by the Assyrians and because they failed to repent which is the call of Hosea throughout the whole thing to repent and turn to him he's going to let the sword come the judgment's going to come they're not going to be free they're going to reap what they've sown and just because they follow their own counsel in verse 6 they're bent on backsliding And as we've read, he refused to destroy them, give up on them. And look at this where it says, my heart churns within me, my sympathy is stirred. I mean, this is, I just see this as a father, a parent, a mother who's struggling in, in the emotional sorrow over a rebellious child. Not doing, not... Knowing the truth, knowing what they should do, but continuing to go down this path of destruction, I—that is—that is is just unbelievably difficult. And this is what where God is at with Israel. He's literally he—he's inside. His emotions are 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 just unsettled, and he's and he's actually in first disgust. He is so angry because of all the blessings and all that he's done for this nation and they continue to take the blessings and and they run further away from him in their rebellion. But his compassion overrides his anger. And so when your anger, when my anger becomes great, I need to pray this prayer. Lord, let my compassion be greater than my anger. Because that's That's what it's all about. It's being patient and allowing God space to do His work in the lives of our loved ones. Because at some time, by doing this, God can bring them around. Not everybody's going to repent, but in this case, there'll be a remnant. And when they hear the Lord roar, (laughs) that's what He says there in verse 10, they're going to roar like a lion. I don't know about you, but they're a pretty intimidating animal. The Lord talks about uh, this This roaring like a lion is a, a, a very familiar phrase that the prophets used. Um, they'll come trembling. They'll be like a bird, like a dove. And God's going to allow them in his mercy to dwell in their houses. But they're going to be taken captive. Some of them were taken. This is the way the Assyrians did it. They brought... Them, their citizenry in foreigners probably from other countries even that, that, that they'd already conquered brought them into the land and then removed a number of the Jews and brought them into their country and that way they could, tr- could uh, destroy the ethnic uh, culture within that nation Once the, it's just what's happening in our own nation actually we're bringing in all these foreign allowing all these foreigners to come and what are they bringing with them they're bringing their idols, they're bringing their religion they're distro- that is allowing us to really see our, the foundations of our nation be destroyed by the paganism that's flooding into our thing and this is exactly what happened to Israel. It's a way of taking over a nation because you sh- destroy the continuity and the community of, of, uh, that it was built upon. Isaiah talks about this and he's a contemporary, remember. Uh, we'll get to Judah here in a minute, uh, but in Isaiah 11 we read this: "It shall come to pass in that day, the Lord will set His hand against again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, from Hamath, and the islands of the sea." He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is is what happens. God disperses and lets them pay the price for their sins, but there's always a remnant. He pulls them back, and he brings them back to the promised land. He doesn't give up on his people. This is a historical fact of the nation of Israel. They're still (laughs) 1948, here we go. It's another replay in our generation, in our time. Um, but what was the big problem? It was verse 12. Ephraim has circled me with lies, and the house of Israel was deceit. They were lying to themselves. They were, not, they were unwilling to tell themselves the truth and face in reality who they were. And this is the problem with spiritual growth. If we are not willing to face who we are, Look in the mirror, which is the word of God, and see ourselves as God sees us, we will fail to grow, and yet and and what will be the result of that is the deceitfulness of our fallen nature will control our lives and will never produce the fruit that that God intends us to produce. It's self-deception. And the result of self-deception in a nation is always violence. Lying, cheating, stealing, it always leads to violence. There's no escape to that. So let's pick this up in verse uh, chapter 12 and and finish up here. Ephraim has encircled me with lies. That's verse 12. The house of Israel was deceit, but Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. Now you remember, Judah actually lasted another 150 years beyond the the northern ten tribes. But everything that, that Israel got into... And defiled themselves, Judah will eventually fall into. And this is, this is, it, what God, what really is difficult and it's the, it's just the scheme of the devil is syncretism. You have the antithesis and the thesis and the ideas, the synthesis, the opposition, and so, what? Well, it was not that they worshipped Jehovah and these other gods. That's this is what this is what they were doing. They were bringing it. To, well, we love the Lord, but we also like this other part. And so, you take a little bit of this from the Judaism, you take a little bit of paganism, and you bring it together, and you form your own religion. And frankly, that's what's in the Church of Jesus Christ. We got plenty of Bible studies. We got plenty, but are you applying the word? Or are you getting these, you know, three three little psychological points and have a good day, people? We're into making disciples. I'm a firm believer, every member of minister. You can't minister God's word unless you cannot give what you don't have. But we, we just compartmentalize God in America. We do that on Sunday, sometimes Saturday. And we got this God compartment that's maybe at best once a week for most people, even in the church, professing church. It's once a month or twice a month or whenever I feel like going because, you know, I can just get it on, you know, over the internet and I got plenty of Bible teachers I can listen to and podcasts and this and that. So I really don't need... As if worship of God is is, is optional. It's very disturbing. I remember... Uh, Pastor Chuck, he said it more than once to us as as, as students and going to school and, and when he would come in. Don't think people are more spiritual than they are or you'll never meet their need. And that is so important to understand. That's why we have, it isn't that we're picking on anybody and it's not that we're trying to be rude or or insensitive. We are required as pastors to just, Bring the word and let it fall where and the chips fall where they may, so to speak. Just if it applies, fine. If it doesn't, that's fine too. But you have to declare the word of God. Oh, well, we gotta be careful because if so-and-so leaves the church, I don't know if we can make the mortgage. How many all we're looking at is nickels and noses. That's all we care anymore. It's just get the people in, get the money, and next. You know what, if, that become, if that's the what it's all about, it's going to come to an end. It will not, it will not endure. It can endure. It's, it's suffocating to God. Ephraim feeds on the wind, verse 1, pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah, And will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his deeds. He will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. And in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. And so you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. A cunning Canaanite, deceitful scales are his, in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Surely I've become rich. I've found wealth for myself and all my labors. And they shall find in me no iniquity that is sin. But I am the Lord your God. Ever since the the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. I have spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions. I have given symbols to the witness of the prophets. And though Gilead has idols, and surely they are vanity, though they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal, Indeed, their altars shall be heaps in the pharaohs of the field. Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse. And for a while he tended sheep. And by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And by a prophet he was, pre- he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, his Lord shall leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and the repro- return of his reproach upon him. There is this sowing and reaping that takes place. God tempers the harvest so often. But he's reminding again to Hosea their history. And he takes them back to, to Jacob, their father, he he. he Notice that he says here in verse two. He says the Lord will bring a charge. It's like this is this is a court case here, and they're on trial. Here's the deal. Here's the evidence of what you're doing, and here's what your this is what this is what has brought this on. It's from your own father, you know, the son is like the father in this case. We mentioned this past Sunday how important it is to understand that we all have this Jacobism within our own hearts, right? He's a picture of God transforming and taking a carnal man and eventually transforming him into a spiritual man because Jacob was a very spiritual man. He was a man of tremendous faith in the end of his life. But in the beginning, even in the womb, he's He had his brother by the heel, which is to reveal what kind of person he would be uh, in his life. And that attitude brought a lot of suffering in his life. And it's amazing how God uses suffering to transform us. There are lessons in life that we cannot learn otherwise, but through suffering. I wish there were easier ways. And I think sometimes the Lord wishes there were easier ways but there isn't it says that he struggled with God and prevailed that's Genesis 32 and he's uh, having the he's come back from being with someone worse than him (laughs) in the area of being a dirty sneaky thief Laban his father-in-law and he's coming back to face the harsh reality of what he did to his brother knowing that when he left his brother was a going to kill him. And he's, face, he's got, you know what? God makes us face the music. You got to be, if you want to grow in the Lord, if we want to grow in the Lord, we have to face the music of who we are. And this is a picture, Jacob's life. You know, the, Jeremiah 17, 8, 9, I think it is. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I, the Lord, try the reins. You know, Kathy and I had this discussion not too long ago. It it means, you know, we're prone to cheat. That's what deceit is. eh, Like, you know, I don't want to lose, so, you know, how can I get an advantage in this game that I'm playing? Well, you might do that in a board game, or you might do that in a card game, but you're not going to do it as a believer in the game of life because God will call you out. He called, he brought Jacob to this point you know he's leaving this is chapter 20 and I'd encourage you to read up on this because it's just good to be reminded he's leaving his brother and he stops at a place Luz and he has a nice little pillow there it's a rock <laughs> wow that must have been a rough night <laughs> but he's kind of a hard head so it didn't really matter right and so he has this vision of the ladder coming down and he calls it he changes the name of the city to bethel house of god and he makes a vow you know we all start out walking with the, i'm going to be faithful to god that's all in our heart and well, that's a good that's a good vow <laughs> but god expects you to keep it right so he goes on spends 20 years as we've read laboring for a spouse and then on the way back facing the music he gets into a wrestling match. Chapter 32. Let's just turn there because those are some really good tidbits in there. And I find that interesting because, you know, we touched on it on it's Sunday. And I and I really hadn't spent a lot of time in in this passage that we're in tonight. Uh, and it, and, but it, it wasn't in my, and it was not in my notes um, for Sunday morning. And so I, I kind of feel like it's just something the Lord wants to remind our our body of. He, he yeah, Gen. What did I say? De, de, yeah, yeah, Genesis. You know, if you follow through this, theory you can see how God, He's a spiritual man. The Lord speaks to Him. Look, I'm not holding you here anymore. He, you know, you've got had a belly full of Laban. Fine. And the Lord appears to him in, in chapter 31 and and you know, it reminds him of the vow. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to your family. So God expects him to go back to that place. Now you can follow this through if you want. He, he, I just think I find this interesting and it's not really the right order here. But where, does, where does Jacob go and actually land when he gets back into the land after this whole thing of encounter with Esau? He doesn't go back to Bethel. He goes to Shechem and he builds barns to keep his stock, his flocks in. What happens at Shechem His daughter, partial obedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. And he paid a price. His daughter paid a price. I mean, we just not a good thing. Just, again, a reminder. But as he wrestles with the Lord, he has to confess who he is. You're deceitful, you're oppressive, and you're self-righteous. That was this, that's what deceit does. We think we're better than we really are. And it's hard. that's a tough pill to swallow. This is what Israel, verse 7, is guilty of. But go ahead and look up those verses there. Genesis 32, 22 through 32. And then 35, 1 through 14, is when the covenant... Um, he he gets he he returns to Bethel and he gets the full. He has a big conversation with the Lord. Let's put it that way. The Lord really renews his the covenant with him there. The Blessing the Abrahamic covenant is is again firmly established. He got a little bit of it before he left, and now he's getting the full blessing in thirty-five, and so. Think about that with your own life for a moment. This little journey that we have in our journey with the Lord. What is it that, that what are, do you have a Bethel moment in your life? Was there ever a time when you heard in the house of God, that's Bethel, that's what that means, that God has spoke to your spirit and spoke to your heart and he's commissioned you and you just really have a direction for your life? And then maybe you sort of didn't happen as quickly as you thought and you sort of strayed and you and you went on this wilderness journey into another country where you really found out who you really were because you had a mirror of somebody else who was just like you only on steroids. And you come back this is Jacob's life and then you have to face the music that you are who you are that God in his mercy delivers you and you're trying your best but you got all these domestic responsibilities and you don't quite make it back Have you, you got to make it back to Bethel that's the journey to get back on track of what God really I've gone through some of this so I can preach it suffering is used by the Lord to do that deep transforming work all this was going on through all these years the 20 years in Syria and then coming back in this whole Shechem thing, God is just doing a deep dive, if you will, into his soul and his spirit. And, he's, and then he loses his, the love of his life. And then he loses his son. I mean, you can't suffer. This is painful. Man. There's a lot to learn from his life. But he comes, I mean, we see the outcome in the end. We read, you know, one chapter, the next one. That wasn't so bad. It worked out. <laughs> We're talking a life of pain. None of us escape it. Are we greater than our master? Do we think we can kind of, you know, skate and get off scot-free without pain and suffering? I don't really like talking about this because I got a feeling it's probably going to happen in my life more. And of course it will. There's seasons. I just pray for strength and I pray for grace and I pray for mercy. And we have and flow through those things, don't we? But here's the thing: God is with us. God cares. God never stops caring, and He knows it hurts. He knows the pain. He's been a man. He knows what it. He knows what crucifixion is all about. Let's keep our head about ourselves, as He was trying to teach them. You know, it's like Micah, you know, God has shown you, old man, what does the Lord require of you? Love mercy, do justly, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he says here. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your Lord continually. Just keep walking with God. Just keep walking with God. And then when your favorite verses will become whatever trial you're going through, this will also come to pass. It's going to pass. We're not going to stay here. It's going to come to pass. It's going to go away. And this is a powerful section of Scripture. Um, There may be some things along the way as he ends the chapter here uh, that have to stick with us I mean I've got some things that I'm not real proud of decisions I made or maybe things I said along the way that it's a reproach to me maybe other people don't think about it but you will and it's just it's something that's probably in your heart that you wish you wouldn't have went there but you did and so well you just got to live with it and that's kind of how he ends uh, ends it here uh, he will leave the blood guilt here and re- Return his reproach upon him, and so there's some things that God removes completely, and He takes away completely, but there's some stuff He sort of okay. Well, you're going to live with that. He made you know, so to speak, the old colloquial phrase. You know, if you made your bed, you got to, to sleep in it. You know, uh, but He tempers those things with mercy and love, and and so that's our lesson for tonight. Just powerful reminders of uh, to look back. You know over how God has dealt with a man of of his choosing. Why would God choose a guy like Jacob? Are you kidding me? He could have found anybody better than that guy. No. He wanted to show and display grace. If you learn nothing else from this passage in Jacob's life, you should see and we should see what grace looks like. (laughs) Wow. God is very gracious very kind, very considerate, always doing what's best for us. Father, we thank you that you do care. You are so good. Help us to understand that goodness more and more every day. We just want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.